This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. With another hour of radio drama, this is the Relic Radio Show. New shows every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. Our first story this week comes from Rocky Jordan. We'll hear Pattern for Revenge, his story from October 2nd, 1949. After that, it's Battle Stations and the Battle of the Atlantic. That episode aired August 5th, 1943. Buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Time now for Rocky Jordan, brought to you today by Del Monte Tomato Products. Not far from the Musk Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Del Monte presents Rocky Jordan and this week's story, Pattern for Revenge. It was getting along toward midnight, but business in the tambourine was still booming. I had just stepped over to help behind the bar when I saw her come in the front door. Young, 22 or 3 maybe, blonde and pretty in a brown suit with hat and gloves to match. She glanced nervously around, saw what she wanted, and headed for a back table, where a guy about her age was finishing up his fifth double bourbon. Right away, a big argument started, and I moved toward the front, figuring to keep out of it. But then she turned looking for help, so I waved the waiter away and went back myself. No. Oh, Jacques, please, I you're not stay safe. here. Get out, like I said, I told you. I stay here. Anything I can do, lady? Oh, I'm most sorry, monsieur. Please, Jacques, we must go. The no. gentleman will help you. No, I do not need help. I know what I'm to do. What's he talking about? He does not know what he's saying. If you would assist him to a taxi. Oh, sure. All right, Jacques. Everything's all right. Come on, up we go. Do not touch me, Jordan. Come on, easy. Oh, let me go, all right? Jacques! Please. Oh, he can't hear you. Had one too many, lady. He's passed out. Oh, there's a cop back in my office. We'll put him there for a while. Uh, are you sure he will be all right? Sure. All he needs is some sleep. You just run along. I'll let you know when he feels better. Very well, monsieur. I am Roxanne Bellon. Jacques is my husband. I will be at our room at the Hotel Royale. You will call then? Sure. Just don't worry. Thank you. Thank you so much. Roxanne Bellon quickly turned and went out. A couple of the waiters and I carried her husband back to the office and laid him out on the cot. I sent the waiters back to their jobs and was about to go out front again myself when the phone opened up. Tambourine, Jordan speaking. Hello, who is this? It has been a long time. A very, very long time. Is it not, Jordan? What's it about? Who are you? You... Do not know that. <laughs> Why should I? Come on, get to the point. Jordan, the time is running out. Start counting the hours and the minutes. You do not know where or when it will come. Look, if this is a bump joke, cut it off. A joke? <laughs> joke? You shall learn only too soon. All right, tell me all about it. Have I not said enough? Revenge, Jordan. A debt long overdue, payable with death. What? Hello? Hello? Oh, great. All right, hello. I can hear you, Jordan. Oh, hello, Sam. Sorry, I expected somebody else. Your agitation does not surprise me in the least. What does that mean? It means that I must talk with you, and most urgently. Well, I'm listening. At headquarters, Jordan, as soon as possible. 
Oh, it's a busy night here, Sam. I got customers. This is for your own good, Jordan. Now, will you come at once, or shall I send for you? Uh, all right, Sam. I'll be right over. Jordan, you were wise to come directly here. You look relieved, Sam. Yes, indeed I am. On second thought, I realized that I should have given you full warning... Uh, just supposing we get to the point, huh? We shall. Just as soon as you have told me if you know of any recent threat or danger to your life. Oh, no more than the usual. Why? Uh, well, I have here a slip of paper on which are written the names of four men of Cairo. The first three names are crossed off. I've got an idea who's the four. A moment. The men whose names are crossed off are now dead. Victims of violent murder. Where did this list come from? It was found on the body of the most recent victim only tonight. Go on. <clears throat> it is not the first list of this kind to be found. On each person killed was such a list, with each man already dead crossed off and a new name added as the next intended victim, left there undoubtedly by the murderer. Mm, somebody's playing quite a game. Yes, as you say. This is the work of a warped mentality, someone with a fixation of vengeance, perhaps. One intent not only on murder, but in striking terror into the heart of his next victim. All right, Sam, get it over with. On the list found tonight is added a new name, one yet to be crossed off. The name of Rocky Jordan. I thought so. Let me see that list. No one is to see it, Jordan. Sam, if I'm next, I gotta know something. I things. intend that the police deal with this matter in their own way. You got some ideas? None that I care to discuss at this time. In the meantime, I suggest that you act with the greatest discretion. Sure, Sam. I'll take care of myself. I fully intend that you do. I'm taking no more chances. Sergeant Greco, step in, please. At once, Captain Savoy. Ah, hello, Greco. Uh, good evening, Mr. Jordan. Now, uh, Greco... Uh, uh, Captain Savoy, if you will permit me, I have given much thought to this matter of the killing. Should you see fit to assign me to the case... That I am doing. I have a task for you. You may place full trust in me. Good. Until further notice, you will accompany Jordan as his bodyguard. But, uh, Capitan... Save it, uh, Sam. Call it off. I don't need Greco tagging along. Uh, uh, Capitan, uh, would not one with less experience in more important matters, a man new to the... Enough, contract, Greco. That will be all. Your command, Captain Sabaya. At your service, Mr. Jordan. I gave it up, too, and went on out with Greco following sullenly behind. Well, if that's the way Sam wanted it, so did I. Only now I knew the threatening phone call had been nobody's joke. When we got back to the tambourine, it was closed. I unlocked the front door, and when I started inside, Greco moved to follow. Oh, no, this is as far as you go. I have my orders, Mr. Jordan. I am to stay with you. And I happen to know the law, and I say you stay here in the street unless you want to get a warrant. Very well. But I warn you, do not attempt to leave your cafe without me. I will be here waiting. <laughs> I'll sleep on it. Pleasant dreams, Greco. I started back through the cafe, not bothering to turn on the light. I was halfway back when I remembered Jacques Belon, the drunk I'd left on my cot in the office. And I was two steps farther when it happened. <laughs> Shots came from behind my office door. Right away, I was running back, slamming open the door just in time to hear somebody scramble out the back door to the alley. I don't generally go chasing after people with guns, but I got to the alley just in time to hear fleeing footsteps as the figure faded into the night. Then I heard heavier footsteps coming from the other way. Stop at once! Who's there? It's me, Greco. Step it up, will you? Mr. Jordan, I want you not to leave your cafe without oh, me. Oh, cut it, Greco. Get after that guy. He's heading for the Sharia Farah. I saw no one go that way. Take my word for it now. Get going. I have my express orders, Mr. Jordan. They are to stay with you. Yeah, it'll take more than that to win a promotion. Enough. Now I demand to know what the shooting was about. Okay, Greco, come on. We'll both find out. We went back inside my office through the alley door, and there I cut on a light. Yeah, my guest was still on the cot. He hadn't moved. And it wasn't hard to realize exactly what had happened. I knew that all three shots fired at close range into the body of Jacques Bellon. Had been meant for me. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan.
Last week, you may remember, we told you the secret is out. Yes, good news for catsup lovers. Del Monte catsup is made with pineapple vinegar. I've always known Del Monte catsup was good. But what's this about pineapple vinegar? Just this. Pineapple vinegar is the secret of Del Monte catsup's marvelous flavor. Catsup experts say the finer the vinegar, the better the catsup flavor. And pineapple vinegar is superlative vinegar. Del Monte makes it, and only Del Monte has it. It isn't so much that you taste the vinegar, it's what this pineapple vinegar does for the other ingredients that makes it so important. Nobody could miss the way it brings out the best in catsup flavor, the way it accents the rich goodness of those vine-ripened tomatoes Del Monte uses, and the way it blends them into a catsup that makes the plainest food so much better. So next time you make up your shopping list, include Del Monte catsup. You'll say to... Del Monte catsup is wonderful. I never tasted such marvelous flavor. And best of all, it costs so little for what you get. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Pattern for Revenge. we were sure of just two things. First, that there was a maniac loose in Cairo with a well-laid-out plan for killing a lot of people. Just why was anybody's guess. Second, that I was supposed to be his next victim. Only now, Jacques Bellon, lying dead in my office, had been the innocent victim of the shots intended for me. Right away, Sergeant Greco was his officious self. He planted himself between me and Bellon, told me to call Sabaya. And I did. Only while I was on the phone, Greco didn't know I saw him quickly pry a wad of paper from the fingers of the victim, unfold it, Read it and quickly shove it in his pocket. It wasn't long until Sam Sabaya came striding in with several of his uniformed men. Stay by the entrances, all of you. Yes, Captain Sabaya Bay. Now, Greco. The victim lies here on the cot, Captain Sabaya Bay. I did not allow Mr. Jordan to touch it. That's right, Sam. Greco should win a lot and of strikes. You will keep silent until spoken to, Mr. Jordan. Uh, maybe you'd like for me to keep quiet. A moment, both of you. Now, Jordan, about this man who is dead. Well, I'd just come in the front way when I heard the shots, Sam. When I got back here, somebody was ducking out the alley door. Greco, where were you at this time? It will interest you to know that Mr. Jordan was most uncooperative. He did not permit me to enter the building. It was his right, however... Have Greco tell the rest of it, Sam. He had plenty of chance to go after the killer. That is his story, Captain. I saw no one. Besides, it was my task to see to Mr. Jordan's welfare. Yeah, you took care of me. Enough of this! See what his pockets hold. In the meantime, Jordan, what do you know of this man? Uh, his name's Jacques Bellon. He's drinking in my cafe and got more than he could hold. I put him on a cot there to sleep it off. Never had a chance to wake up. Hmm. A card here in his wallet. You are correct about his name. And his wife's waiting for him at the Hotel Royale. What? Most regrettable. Hmm. A small gun in his pocket. Not fired. Lots of people carry guns. As you say. You will realize now that my warning to you was well advised. Sure, Sam, but what about the rest? I want some information. Jordan, the police are quite capable. Look, look, all I know is that Jacques Ballon would be alive right now if it hadn't been for me. I'd like to see it cleared up. I can well understand your feelings, Jordan. However, you have no reason to feel responsible. And I don't see it that way. Look, the least you can do is give me the names of the others on that list, the others who were killed. Very well. I will read them to you. First is the name of Ali Alkar, a shoemaker. Next, El Faroum, a pasha. And finally, Benny Christian, a Coptic. Well, shoemaker, a pasha, a Coptic, and me, a cafe owner. They ought to mean something. But... Then you do not remember. Sam, what possible relationship do those men have with each other or to a killer? Uh, I got a hunch you know. I do, Jordan. But I've told you enough. Now, something puzzles me. What? Were these killing, uh, according to the pattern, we would have found a new list on Jacques Bellon naming the next intended victim. There was none here, unless it was taken before I arrived. Captain uh, uh, Sabaya, may I presume to suggest once again that I might be of value to this case? Uh, wait a minute, Greco. You're not going anywhere. You're my bodyguard, remember? Bodyguard? Well, a most interesting change of heart for you, Jordan. 
But it is my full intention that he stay with you. And this time, Greco, do not let him out of your sight. Your command, Captain Sabaya. Once the killer learns of his mistake, he will most surely return again. Sam checked around the office some more, and finally the body of Jacques Bellon was taken away. That left me with a job I didn't want but couldn't escape. A trip to the Hotel Royale to see Roxanne. Greco trailed along, but now he was silent. His glance avoided my eyes. Ordinarily, I'd have felt like laughing at him, but not this time. It was almost morning when I knocked at Roxanne's door. After a little wait, she opened the door, clutching a dressing gown around her. Oh, Monsieur Jordan, come in. You've been told, Roxanne? About Jacques? Yes, I know. Who is this with you? Oh, nobody, just my bodyguard. Bodyguard. <laughs> oh? I had to set something straight in your mind about your husband. Please, I do not blame you. Maybe you should. Jacques had nothing to do with his death. Those shots were meant for me. For you? That's right. Somebody thought he was killing me, not your husband. But how can you be sure? Did you have a different idea? No, except that... Monsieur Jordan, I must confess that recently Jacques and I were not happy. You don't have to say anything you don't want to. But I must talk to someone. Jacques and I had been married but a short time. I knew little of his life before that, and it did not matter. He was very devoted. But recently a strange change came over him. He was nervous and upset, as though frightened. Frightened of what, Roxanne? I do not know. Also, he began drinking. A bottle was with him always. And he would go away at night, refusing to say where. I did everything I could. I'd been searching for him when I found him at your cafe tonight. And, as you saw, he would not come with me. Well, that must have been about something else. Believe me, if I'd known there was any danger... You need not feel that way. What he's done, he's done. But if I could help now with, with money... You're... There is money. And that is something else, Monsieur Jordan. Yeah? I will show you. In this drawer. Hey, it's a lot of cash to have lying around. Yet it is there. A and I do not know where it came from. Let's just say your husband was a good provider. Huh? Look, Roxanne, somehow I'm going to square all this. You need not do it for me, monsieur. Then let's just say I'm doing it for Jacques. By the time I unlocked the tambourine door, it was broad daylight. This time, I let Greco come on in. I had reasons for keeping him with me for now. And just as we got inside, the phone opened up. We both headed for the office, and all at once, Greco got real busy again. It is possibly from headquarters. I will take Oh, no, you don't, Greco. Uh, Mr. Jordan, I insist. Hello, Tambourine Jordan speaking. Uh, who is that, Mr. Jordan? Cut it, Greco. Hello. <laughs> uh, you seem to live a charmed life, Jordan. But now your luck has run out. All right, keep talking, mister. Death can strike many times. It is quite useless for you to hope that I will fail again. Mr. Jordan, you are hiding something from me. It is my duty to know who is on that phone. Oh, no, you don't. I command you to give me that phone and keep your hands off of me. All right, Greco, take it. He's all yours. That is better. Hello. This is Sergeant Greco of the Cairo Police. That little scuffle with Greco is what I've been waiting for. The chance to reach in his pocket and pull out the slip of paper he'd palmed off the body of Jacques Villon. I had no time to look at it before Greco turned from the phone. The caller had hung up, as I knew he would. It was my move now, but first I had to shake Greco. So right away, I was out on the street walking fast with a protesting Greco at my elbow. In a little while, I'd let him into the Chouffon Bazaar, where shops had already opened for the day and the crowds were moving in. I kept going until Greco began to puff a little, and I was suddenly running. Wait, Mr. Jordan, stop! Greco had a way of pushing people rather than trying to go around them, and he was soon floundering in the crowds far behind. When I was sure Greco was off my trail, I stopped in a doorway for a quick look at the paper I'd picked from Greco's pocket. It was all I wanted. The names were there. Ali Alkar, El Faroon Pasha, Benny Christian, my name next. All crossed off, and a new name added below, Ahmed Najim. Well, it meant no more to me than the rest, but a phone directory told me there was just one Ahmad Najim listed in Cairo, so I was in luck. I lost no time in getting to his place on the Sharia El Mahdi. It turned out to be a poultry shop. Nobody was up front, so I tried the door to the back room. A little man with a thin beard and a fez was puttering around some big loaded chicken crates stacked high along the wall. Ah, 
Allah be with you, Effendi. Are you Ahmad Najim? Allah, as you say, Ahmad Najim, the poultry merchant. Uh, we met before somewhere. My name's Jordan. Jordan? Uh, your face is familiar, but at the moment I do not recall... Oh, we've got to remember. Maybe it was a long time ago. Uh, perhaps, but Effendi... Hey, wait a minute. A shoemaker, Pasha, a Coptic, a cafe owner, and a poultry merchant. They all could have only one thing in common. So? A courtroom, five years ago. Oh, but of course, Effendi Jordan. Together we were key witnesses at the trial of the despicable Alex Mandel. Sure, Mandel. I should have remembered that voice. Oh, it was something truly to remember, was it not? The shouting Mandel protesting his innocence of the murders, the alibis of his lying witnesses. But then when we, the respected men of Cairo, told what we knew... Mandel's fate was sealed, was it not? Sure, it was our testimony that convicted him. Yes, indeed. Such rage I will never forget. All his idle threats as they took him away. Well, they weren't idle threats, Ahmad. The murderer said many things to us in hatred, but we... we... Hey, what did you say? Alex Mandel meant every word of it. He's broken out of prison. He's loose and he's in Cairo and he's out to kill every man who had anything to do with his conviction. Oh, but that is impossible. No sane man would... That's right, no sane man. Mandel's already at work. He's killed three of his prey. He tried for me last night, now you're next. Oh, but it cannot be. Mr. Jordan, I, I, I will tell him. I did not wish to speak against him. I, I was forced to do it. it. It was you and the others who convicted him. Oh, I cut it, Ahmed. You think he listened to anybody? No, Mr. Jordan, you must help me. Please, Effendi, hide me somewhere. We'll do better than that. We're going right to the police. Uh, the police? That is it, yes, yes. We will go to the police now, at once. I... Oh, no. Mandel. Oh, Felix Mandel. Manners, no, do not shoot, no! In Allah's name, no, please! I, I did not wish to witness! No! As Ahmad slumped away from the door, I dived in. Mandel's gun clattered away. I slammed him against the tottering chicken crates, and then we were down and rolling. Finally, I was on top of him with my hands at his throat. It's about to end it up, and a heavy step at the door turned my head, and there was Sergeant Greco. What is going out of here? Stop in the name of the Lord! Keep away, Greco, I'll handle him. So, Mr. Jordan, it is you. Rolling like one in the streets. Get up, oh, stop it. Let go of me, Greco. For the last time, Mr. Jordan, get up. Greco yanked me just enough to loosen my grip. That's when Mandel twisted from under me, grabbed the gun, and was on his feet and backing up. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jordan, the tables turn so quickly. This time I do not fail. See what you've done, Greco? Tell him, Jordan. Tell the very officious policeman who I am. He's the man you want, Greco. He even took the list of names from Jacques' body without Sabaya's knowing. Hoping you could win yourself a gold star. So, you took it from me. And this man is... Yeah, Felix Mandel. He just claimed another victim there on the floor. So, I, uh, I, 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 I did not know. Well, you know now. <laughs> enough, Jordan, enough. Time is long over you. I must dispose of you now and get on with my work. There are so many. They who spoke so bravely against me in the court, but now they turn to groveling cowards in the face of death. You're not too careful who you shoot at, are you? Even innocent people like Jacques Ballon. Jacques Ballon? <laughs> innocent, you say? <laughs> Jordan, I will tell you something. Yeah? The man who so sadly died in your place was at a cafe tambourine to kill you. Are you sure about that? <laughs> of, course, of course. Did I not send him there? I wonder if his wife knew. No, 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 no. That was all I needed. His fear that I would tell her of his past life. As one of my gunmen. So I sent him to do my killing. And I paid him well. I know that much now. But his fear was too much. I knew I had to follow to see that my work was done. <laughs> Is it not a paradox that Jacques Bellon should be lying in a drunken sleep where I thought I would find you? Hmm? <laughs> but, but now we stand face to face. Now I will be sure. I'd stall as long as I could. I'd been watching the chicken crates which tottered precariously behind Mandel where we'd slammed him against the wall. They needed one more push. And Mandel did it as he backed against him and raised the gun. The chicken crates began to topple and I dodged away as they came down. The first one caught Mandel on the head and the rest piled on top. I moved in, grabbed the gun, dragged Mandel to his feet, but he didn't stay there. His knees crumbled and he fell back to the floor. Then I looked around just in time to see Greco poke his head up through a broken crate. A very live rooster perched on his shoulder, picking at the tassel on his battered fez. Well, there was some crowing after that, but not from Sergeant Greco. 
In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. You know, folks, if you were to ask your wife what she considers is the best way to start off a meal, I bet she'd say... Why, with a chilled glass of tomato juice, of course. That's the perfect way to start a meal. And she'd be so right. The refreshing flavor of a chilled glass of Del Monte tomato juice really whets the appetite, starts the occasion off on the right note of enjoyment. Del Monte tomato juice has just the right tang, a pleasing, sunny flavor you get only from the very best tomatoes, fully ripened right on the vine. Del Monte tomato juice is fresh tasting. Yes, indeed, all the rich flavor of fully ripened tomatoes. Del Monte tomato juice is natural tasting. Close quality control by Del Monte assures you of true natural flavor. Del Monte tomato juice is refreshing. That's right. Real tomato flavor that makes you ask for more. Fresh tasting, natural tasting, and refreshing. That's Del Monte tomato juice. Look for the green can with the familiar red Del Monte shield. Keep several cans in the refrigerator. You will find they come in mighty handy. Back now to Rocky Jordan. All it took was a taxi ride to police headquarters. Greco, Felix Mandel, and me. Sam sent some men out to take care of the late Ahmed Najim. Greco hurried off real quick, saying he wanted to clean up. After booking Mandel and putting him on the grill for a while, Sam slammed a cell door behind him. So much for Felix Mandel, Jordan. Yeah, it about closes the book. In many ways. Jordan, you need no longer fear responsibility for the death of Jacques Bellon, knowing now that he had actually come to kill you. That he was really one of Mandel's gang before Mandel was sent up? Yes. In fact, he spent a short term in prison himself. But it seems that since his marriage a year ago, he had tried to live a circumspect life. So Mandel broke out, came back and put him to work. Yes. The threat of what might be revealed to his wife and the offer of money were too much for the unfortunate man. Hmm. Oh, come into my office, Jordan. There are still a few questions to complete my dossier on Mandel. Oh, why not get it all from Greco? Well, Oh, you, you know, it is most interesting how Greco was so anxious to get away just now. He had so very little to say. Well, he had a big night, Sam. <laughs> so it seems. Now, Jordan, how did you and Greco learn that the poultry merchant, Ahmed Najim, was to be the next victim? I'm waiting. Oh, look, Sam, you've got Mandel. Isn't that enough? Uh, could it be that a list of names was left on the body of Jacques Bellon and that it was kept from me? Now, why would anybody do a thing like that? <laughs> Jordan, one could hardly say that you have any great respect for Sergeant Greco. However... He tries hard. Indeed he does. Very well. I shall ask no more questions for your sake and his, Jordan. I already promised, Sam. No more questions. <laughs> you may go, Jordan. I, I shall give uh, Greco uh, your regards. <laughs> For the finest in tomato flavor, enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and canned tomatoes. And Del Monte tomato juice. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station. And the story is The Man with No Name. <laughs> Whenever you want a quick dessert or a wonderful salad, think of Del Monte peaches. 
sliced or halved, they have a luscious tenderness, a natural sweetness you'll find only in pre-ripened fruit. Yes, for truly delicious peaches, buy Del Monte, the best-liked peaches in the whole wide world. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Navy presents on this and the three succeeding quarters entitled Battle Station. Tonight, the Battle of the Atlantic, Part One. Here is a page for history. Here is the story still incomplete of a grim uphill fight of a frantic hunt in three million square miles of water for hundreds of submerged needles, the submarines of the Axis. Here is the story of the Battle of the Atlantic. That Sunday, the Japanese serpent struck our western side. The White House reports that there has been a Japanese attack on United States bases at Pearl Harbor. This was it. And suddenly, things the man on the street had never thought of became vitally, oh yes, urgent, important. On map of Atlantic and eastern seaboard states of the United States, the dotted line, parallel to the coastline, 300 miles offshore, marks the limits of the area to be known for a time as U-Boat Alley. They were there, the U-boats. They were there somewhere. A neutrality patrol from Halifax to Reykjavik knew they were there, saw 57 of them. Yes, the U-boats were there. And there was tenseness along the sea lanes, whistling at night on a dark road past the graveyard. January 1st. Still no attacks. But they were there. The U-boats were there. The word of one man is awaited. This man has laid his plans well. Twenty-nine of his fifty years are invested in preparations for the battle that awaits just his signal word. Illustration. Thin-lipped man, seamed face, creator and commander of Germany's U-boat fleet, Vice Admiral Karl Dönitz. Sie haben es ja mit Geleitzügen schon früher versucht. Wird Ihnen aber nicht helfen. Wir sind auf alles vorbereitet. As he speaks, he looks at the wall portrait of spike-bearded old Grand Admiral Alfred von Tirpitz, godfather of unrestricted U-boat warfare in World War Number One. He is answering an anxious inquirer. Wir kriegen Sie auf alle Fälle. Mit oder ohne Geleit. Sail alone or in convoy. Ich weiß, was ich zu tun habe, meine Herren. Wir haben Waffen, von denen sich der Feind nicht träumen lässt. U-Boat Credo. ist alles. The deed is all. Yes. The U-Boats are there. There is laughter beneath the sea. Illustration, the interior of a Nazi submarine. <laughs> so it's better, feel better. Hätten wir schon früher an der englischen Küste operiert, so wären wir nicht mehr hier. This is the crew of a U-boat. They're gay, and not without reason. For it's been very hot for them of late in their operations near the western approaches to the British Isles. 
Now they have the entire Atlantic to prowl. They're happy. A new hunting ground and a fascinating technique to practice. system, the technique is called. We know it as the wolf pack strategy. The U-boats were there, but not heard from. January 1st, 5th, 8th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. Loose. Fire. <laughs> Kinderspiel. Bald werden wir Ihnen in Ihren eigenen Binnengewässern das Leben sauer machen. <lacht> This is too easy. This is simplicity itself, they told themselves. Soon they would be operating in our rivers, they thought. And the ten following days supported that belief. Seven ships sunk. 49,000 tons. And the actions of the U-boat crews demonstrated they had learned von Turpitz' credo. Zitat ist alles. Illustration. Crew of a merchant ship torpedoed off the east coast. In a lifeboat. Keep your shirts on. They're surfaced to see if we got water and provisions. Nuts. They don't need a man their guns to find that out. Hey, maybe they're going to take some of us aboard for questioning. Look out! Down! Down in the bottom of the boat! The Louse's machine gunning us! Are you going right? The deed is all. The rules have been made for the campaign. Rules with words written by a bloody finger across the face of them. Be ruthless. They'd been dashing cavalierly figures among Germany's submarine commanders in the last war. Ruthless in their destruction of merchant tonnage, but solicitous over the welfare of the survivors. Not Dernitz's men. The United States Merchant Marine was to learn that. There was much to be learned. If you hope to get your ship there, Captain, you'll have to change quite a few of the old habits. There are hundreds of Nazi submarines in the Atlantic. You'll have to stay in as close to shore as you can. You know, Navy men know how to handle fighting ships, but I've been master of a ship since I was that high. I want to be out where I can move around. You won't find much space to move around in Davy Jones's locker. There was a lesson to learn. And many merchantmen went to Davy Jones' locker to learn it. Closer and closer the shipping moved in to hug the shoreline, and bolder and bolder the U-boats became. Soon the front yard of the United States was in truth U-boat alley. Each TNT-laden shark that churned through the coastal waters struck a blow that was felt throughout the frontier. No, SOS. SOS. City of Memphis. Torpedoed. 68 degrees, 11 minutes west. 42 degrees, 20 minutes north. Sinking fast. Abandoned ship ordered. SOS. Naval District to Eastern Sea Frontier. Go ahead. SOS picked up. City of Memphis. Torpedoed. 68 degrees, 11 minutes west. 42 Message degrees, received. 20 minutes north. City of Memphis. 68 degrees, 11 minutes east. 42 degrees, 20 minutes north. Ensign, take this information to the potting room. Another sinking. In just a matter of minutes from the time the radio transmitter of the stricken ship spoke its last words... A young ensign strode into the huge room on whose walls spread a map of the Atlantic. 
And with a long pull, pulled from the face of the map a numbered green disc of celluloid that had represented the city of Memphis, and a black sliver of celluloid that represented the submarine moved to supplant it. Yes, here was the information on which to act. But where were the ships with which to strike back? It is past midnight. But lights of the Eastern Frontier Command burned late that night early in 1942. Yes? Another thinking, sir. Off Boston. Thank you. Gentlemen, while we've been talking, another ship has gone down. The U-boat is able to lie outside our zones of plane patrol until dark, then steal into strike. There's a remedy, gentlemen. We must find it. Why wasn't that ship using the Cape Cod Canal? That isn't the answer. Only the smaller boats can use the canal. Well, then, the solution is for shipping to move by daylight only. Now, from Boston to Long Island Sound can be made by daylight. From New York to the Delaware Capes is another daylight run. From the Capes to Chesapeake Bay is still another. We'll add one-third to shipping time. But I see no other solution. Still, that doesn't solve the problem of the traffic below Norfolk. Norfolk to Charleston. What there? Well, your suggestion seems the best, Captain. Minefields will have to be sown, and our shipping will have to take haven in them during the hours of darkness. There was laughter beneath the sea. The vital coastwise shipping had been slowed perceptibly, and the nation felt it. Coffee on the ration list, sugar on the ration list. That put the frothy head on the beer of Nazi laughter. The basis of the laugh was satisfaction. Crucially needed war materials were not reaching their destinations on time. Illustration. An officer of the Navy addresses an officer of the Army. We believe it's within your power to solve one of our most pressing problems, sir. And maybe your problem's solved. What can we do to help? The U-boats have moved in on our eastern sea frontier. And they're able to operate close to our shores because the patrol planes we have, of which I'm afraid there are too few, aren't able to patrol out far enough. The cruising range is too short. Hmm. Sounds like a job for our long-range bombers. And that was our thought. If we patrol 500 miles out, the U-boats will be forced away from our shore. Then I'll see to it that an Army Bomber Command is transferred to your control at the earliest possible moment. You will mark many turns in the Battle of the Atlantic. This was one. An Army Bomber Command was transferred to the Navy, and its men were trained in the tasks of the Navy. Army flyers learned to identify ships from aloft, learned to carry out the tasks of shore patrol. An Army Bomber Command became a Navy task force, and the Navy from this public place expresses its gratitude and thanks for the U-boats slowly were forced farther out to sea, and around was won. And daily, hourly, the workers in the shipyards of America were doing their bit to choke the laughter that came from beneath the sea. Illustration. A young lady stands on the platform, gripping the neck of a champagne bottle. She raises it and brings it down on the sleek bow of the ship. And crashing down the ways of Navy shipyards came another answer to the U-boat. Destroyers. Enough so that by the 14th of May, our coastwise shipping was traveling in convoys from Norfolk to the Gulf. Then, within a month, enough to convoy from New York to the Caribbean. And the effectiveness of the submarine decreased by 95%. There were sinkings, yes, a few, but at a fearful price. For the escort vessels knew their jobs. They had learned. Illustration. Aboard the USS Fury... An officer stands with an observer, watching an efficient crew man a Y-gun. Well, do you think you'll get the devil? We'll see. Yeah, if we don't, it won't be because we don't know how. You see, we've learned how to toss them out in an effective pattern. There goes the first one. If it isn't deep enough, the next one will be. I wouldn't like to be caught between the two. I doubt if the men down below care for it either. Hey, how can you be sure when you've got yourself... They don't chalk up a score at headquarters until we bring in the U-boat skipper's pants to prove it. Who knows when you do get one? (laughs) Somebody knows. Darn it. 
Greenwich knew. Silent transmitters told him. No, U-73 will not answer. U-73 has spread its blanket of oil on the Atlantic battlefield to be dissipated by the unconcerned waves and forgotten to all. Except the man who runs his fingers through close-cropped hair, turns and glares at the face of Grand Admiral von Tirpitz. The unoffended portrait returns to stare. I didn't have the answer in 1918, the painted eyes say. Have you? The fight of Mr. Leipzigel, I cannot convoy everywhere. The paper government. The fourth of Paris, Mr. Zeal's Gulf of Mexico. Order them to move to the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico. If Dernitz thought the United States Navy could not convoy within the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico, it was because he could not hear the crash of countless magnums of champagne against the prows of new escort vessels. That sound could not be heard across the Atlantic. But it could be heard where laughter was dying beneath the sea. Illustration. The tense crew of a U-boat that had a few minutes before been attacking a seemingly helpless merchantman now watch an indicator that marks the depth of their dive. One remarks that something has gone wrong. Another observes that that is not unusual of late. This crew can be seen tense as a depth charge thunders nearby. There is little laughter now. One tries to joke says that maybe this is the way they're to get the leave they've been promised. He is told that he is not so funny. The craft quivers like a wounded animal as a death charge releases its might nearby. One is sure that some of the seams have been opened by that charge. The speed of the descent that once seemed quite adequate does not seem so now. One of the crew remarks that the Americans are learning too much too fast. And his fellow crew members seem to agree. Don't be misled. The battle was not going our way even then. Far from it. Sinkings were increasing. Figure two. Sinkings in ships from January 14th, 1942 to May 14th, 1942. 175 ships. Sinkings in ships from May 14th to September 14th. 197 ships. Sinkings were increasing. But now the eastern sea frontier under the command of Vice Admiral Adolphus Andrews was being armed. And the Navy was striking back. The U-boats had been driven to a greater degree from U-boat alley, forced out into the sea to prey on loan ships which were too fast to travel in the convoys. But the varieties of U-boat attack are infinite. And Dernitz's guru system had its share of successes. We are traveling in a convoy eastward. Number four one. Number four one. Alter your course two points to starboard. It is dark and silent this night. Only the sound of our prow slashing into the sea ahead is heard. That and the hum of the engines below. No light showing. But there are shapes in the mixture of moonlight and haze. Other ships in the convoy in files 200 cables apart cutting a zigzag course through the black waters. A submarine pack has been reported in this area. Then suddenly, the hitherto silent radiophone begins to speak. Submarine sighted, off to port. All right, go after it. The screen of ships in the escort line turns off to stalk down the marauder. And the merchantmen of the convoy move along in the silver haze. Then, an explosion. Flames leap from a stricken tanker. The darkness gone. Seen a nightmare of red light and ships thrown into silhouette. More torpedoes find their marks. Number 
<lacht> Trotz allem, wir werden sie schon kriegen. Yes, Dönitz had a way. A submarine would allow itself to be sighted. This to draw up the escort vessels in pursuit. Then the other members of its pack worked into the center of the convoy and fired torpedoes in all directions. It worked once, then with variations again, then with still other variations again. But with decreasing success, for experience, the teacher had brought defense almost even with attack. It merited a cautious word of optimism. Can you say anything for publication on the battle against the sub, sir? I can say that some of the recent visitors to our territorial waters will never enjoy the return portion of their voyage. Furthermore, the percentage of one-way traffic is increasing, while that of two-way traffic is satisfactorily on the decline. But there will be no information given out about the fate of the submarine excursionists who don't get home until that information is no longer of aid and comfort to the enemy. The Nazis think themselves pretty clever in the field of psychological warfare. Secrecy surrounding the fate of their submarines is a counter blow the American people can give them, which may serve to shake some of their super confidence. How was the super confidence of the men who not long ago laughed under the sea? The words spoken in a press conference soon crackle in the air, and submarines have ears. Illustration. The crew of a submarine listens. I can say that some of the recent visitors to our territorial waters These men affect a casual, mocking expression. Their radio has told them of the ineffectiveness of the American defenses against submarines. But their radio has lied to them before. Was, was sagt er denn? Was sagt er denn? Er sagt, dass viele von uns jetzt nicht mehr heimkommen. Viele spurlos versenken. They laugh, but their laughter has a hollowness that causes them to look aside at their crewmates. Could not this be true? Their eyes ask. One is bold enough to venture a question of how much of this is true. None of it, another responds. It's all rubbish. And they eagerly agree among themselves. But they are interested. What is the idiot blowing about now? Their faces must not betray it, each resolves to himself. But there could be something to all this talk of U-boats being destroyed. Oh, ein Unsinn. Stell up. Die übertreiben drüben wahrscheinlich genauso wie die bei uns zu Hause übertreiben. This bold fellow suggests that our radio probably exaggerates as theirs does. Weißt du noch, wie wir den 3000 Tonner vor den Azoren versenkt haben? Yeah. He goes on to recall that a 3000 ton vessel they had sunk was reported on the Nazi transmitters as being a 10,000 ton ship. This is the seed of doubt that will grow. The seed of doubt is planted, and it will grow. Yes, the number of sinkings was steadily increasing, but in the most part, this was because of the daring born of desperation that drove the U-boat commanders in their efforts to stop the flow of war materials that were slowly blunting the knife of Nazi attacks against the Russians. The German losses in submarine were commensurate with ours in shipping. How many were sent to the bottom is a secret that only the end of the war will bring to light. A cautious statement from the Navy Department said that all was going reasonably well, which means that the opposite is true with the affairs of the man behind the desk beneath the portrait at Kiel. At some time between the 14th of January, 1942, and today... The tide turned in the Battle of the Atlantic. It'll be for future historians and not this report to name the moment. But it may have coincided with a statement made by Secretary of Navy Knox on the night of April 22nd of this year. He said, I'm not using every 
submarine they have or can build in an effort to cripple our striking power before it can be aimed at their throat. We accept that challenge, and in accepting it, we are confident of victory. Therefore, this is, in effect, a warning to the officers and men of the Nazi submarines that each combat voyage they undertake will be more dangerous than the last. This is an honest warning to the crews of German U-boats that each time they go out, there will be a sharply increasing likelihood that they will not come back. Here is the reason why. We are now building, both in Navy and private yards, destroyer escort vessels by the dozen. Yes. The secretary's words were heard in the enemy U-boats. Prisoners taken from captured submarines since tell of hearing. And they were heard by the man who sits beneath the portrait of von Tirpitz, behind a desk in an office in Kiel. And they are releasing our regular destroyers for combat duty in the Pacific and elsewhere. In addition to vastly increased offensive power on the surface, our aerial protection is being stepped up to a vast extent. We are building auxiliary and converted aircraft carriers literally by the dozens. Like the destroyer escort vessels, these convoy carriers are not something projected for the future. They are already in action. New ones are being added at a rapid rate. These carrier aircraft will be supplemented by long-range patrol planes operating from land bases. Finally, we have developed and are introducing certain new anti-submarine weapons which we prefer the Germans to learn about in action. The Battle of the Atlantic, before it is finally decided, is bound to mean more losses on both sides. But if Hitler suffers enough losses in submarines and crews, he will not be able to replace them. With all our resources, we are working toward the day when Hitler will be forced to admit that he is beaten in the Atlantic. When that day comes, the end of Nazi power will be in sight. You have heard the history of the Battle of the Atlantic to what we may hope has been its turning point. And there is another story. The story of the men and the mechanisms by which the battle has been brought to this favorable turn. That will be told in part two of this document, The Battle of the Atlantic. This has been the first in a series of four programs prepared by the Special Events Department of NBC in cooperation with the Navy Department. Raymond Edward Johnson was heard tonight as the narrator. Tonight's report was written by Charles Gussman. The music was composed and scored by Leo Kempinski, and the orchestra was directed by Joseph Stopak. Battle Stations was directed by Joseph Mansfield. Next Thursday at this same time... Battle Station. Nursing is one of the highest callings in the service of mankind, and there can be no more exalted service than that to which a nurse dedicates herself, saving lives. And right now there's an urgent and immediate need for student nurses. America needs 65,000 new student nurses now to join the U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps at once. These students are needed to replace the nurses who have already gone into the armed services. So if you would like to be a nurse, write to the U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps, Box 88, New York City. That's U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps, Box 88, New York City. And they'll be happy to send you information about how you can join the Corps. The U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps, Box 88, New York City. However, please do not write unless you meet the following requirements. The age limit is between 17 or 18, depending upon state and nursing school regulations. You must have graduated from high school with satisfactory grades. And, of course, your health must be good. If you qualify, join the U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps now. Save a life and find your own. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from the series you heard today 
past episodes of the Relic Radio Show and all of the other podcasts at relicradio.com. Lots to listen to there. If you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.